Lord's here today. Amen. Say, the Lord's here. The Lord's here. And you know, He's here for you. He's here for you. There's some tremendous revelation that I believe the Lord's going to give us today that's going to help us. So, Father, we, we open up our hearts to, Lord, I ask you to help me, help me to share precisely the very thing that's on your heart that you showed me this week, Lord, to instill into our hearts and into our minds this day, Father. We're careful, Lord, to give you all the glory and the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've mentioned, uh, we've been on this, uh, I think this is number three today on this subject called Fearless. And, you know, God wants us to live a life free from fear. Amen. Well, you talk about a life that's, that's liberating. You know, so many times people live in dysfunction in their lives that they think that's the norm. Some people, they come from a, an atmosphere of strife and turmoil, and, they, and when that strife and turmoil isn't there, they think something's wrong. Did you know that? So people can, people can even Christians can get used to turmoil. They can get used to fear and think this is the norm. But you know, that's not the norm. Jesus prayed that the will of God be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Glory to God. Brother Copeland said it like this. He says, fear tolerated is faith contaminated. And there is no such thing as a healthy amount of fear in your life. Well, pastor, what about the fear of the Lord? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's true. But it's not the same type of fear that we're talking about. The fear of the Lord is a wholesome respect of honoring the Lord. In other words, you don't want to dishonor God. Amen? And when you get saved, God puts that on the inside of you. You know, when I was first saved, the last thing I wanted to do when I first got saved was I did not want to displease God. I didn't have some person over me with rules and regulations, but in my heart of hearts, because I love God, I wanted to serve God. I wanted to... to, uh, be the best that I could be for Him. And I still feel that way. Amen? But, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So when you have the fear of the Lord, that is not talking about the spirit of fear that the Bible talks about. Amen? That's a wholesome respect for the things of God. How many of you know that's really important? And so, uh, several weeks ago, the Lord began to deal with my heart and my prayer time about this. He dealt with me first. A lot of times He just deals with me first about some things and how that there's different types of fear. There's more of the, the uh, uh, how could I say, demonstrative side of fear where it's fright, okay? Like a horror flick or something like that. Someone frightens you, you know, like, you know, that's fear. But there's also very subtle forms of fear of, of concern and worry and little <laughs> nagging thoughts, you know, and it's worry, you know, but it's still rooted in fear. And God does not want you and me to have any fear in our lives. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, all right, Pastor, that sounds great. That sounds good. But how in the world am I going to get rid of fear? Because I've had a lot of fears in my life. And, you know, there's different types of fears. The Bible says the fear of man is a snare or a trap. But whoever puts his trust in the Lord shall be made safe. Amen? How many of you know it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man? Amen? That doesn't mean that you don't trust people, but that means you you don't put 100% stock in people. Nobody. Amen? I mean, you can even let your own self down. (laughs) You can disappoint yourself before. It's like, man, I should have done better than that. Remember that? Have you ever done that before? Well, that's still flesh. Amen? And and we we have to learn to trust God. And, uh, And so we're talking about 
steps to getting victory over fear. Step number one is to, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to do that. Step number one to getting victory over fear in your life is to recognize the source of fear. Recognize the source of fear. We know in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and uh, let's just pick up in verse 7, or 6, it's verse, first, 2 Timothy 1, 6 says, Wherefore, now this is Paul writing to Timothy, who was a young pastor, he said, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Now why would God ask you to stir up something that's already in you? Now I think the Amplified talks about fan the flame. Anybody have the Amplified translation? Okay. Josh, could you bring that up in that verse right there? In verse 6. And I like this. 2 Timothy 1.6 in the Amplified Translation. You know, that's the loud translation. Okay. So, the Amplified. Oh, well, that's good. That's okay. This is the NLT. says... All right, there we go. <laughs> this is why I should remind you. Stir up. Notice this. Rekindle the embers of, fan the flame of, keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that is in you by means of laying out of my hands from the elders at your ordination. Now, notice the phrases, you know, rekindle the embers, fan the flame. Now, I get that because, you know, when I was, when I was young and I would go to camp, as a kid, you know, we would always have campfires every night. I still, to this day, I love campfires. How many of you like campfires? I love the smell. I like everything about it. Amen. And, um, but you know, sometimes if you let a fire that, that's blazing and you let it sit for a while, the flames go down. But then you notice there's those little red ambers, those little coals of, of wood that are just bright red. And sometimes you've got to stick something in there and kind of stir it up. And then the flames start. Can you know what I'm talking about? And see... That's exactly what we have to do with the gift of God that's on the inside of us. Now, there's different ways that you can stir yourself up. Timothy, or Paul, or, or was it Peter said, I want to stir you up by way of remembrance. You have to remember things to stir yourself up. Coming to church like today is a way of stirring up the gift. Now, I recognize that every one of you in this room, you have a gift that God has placed on the inside of you. And that gift is different. It's unique than my gift. Everybody's gift is different and unique. And that's why we need to celebrate one another. Because you have a gift and you have anointing that no one else has. Just like a fingerprint. Now, my job as a pastor, part of my job is to stir up and rekindle the flame and the gift and the flame of the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Hallelujah. And, uh, and then he goes on to say in verse 7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hmm. Now notice verse 7, God has not given us the spirit of fear. So the first way to overcome fear is to recognize its source. Recognize its source. Say that, recognize its source. Okay, so God has not given us the spirit of fear, so where does the spirit of fear come from? It comes from the devil, doesn't it? If you're Spanish, Diablo. <laughs> Amen? Lucifer, Satan. The spirit of fear always comes from Satan. Always remember that. So if you recognize the source of all fear, then it's easier to recognize how to deal with it. You know, that that's not just your thought. That's just not your way of thinking. 
Now, all of us here are familiar with the fact that you can be going along. This might have even happened today. And you're just going about your business. And all of a sudden, you get a fearful thought, a worry-filled thought that hits your mind. In other words, something comes to you. Maybe you're worried about your kids or worried about your bills or worried about this, worried about that. You know what I'm talking about? Little subtle things. Have you ever had that happen to you? Like, what are you going to do? Suggestion. Is that just your thought? No. That's not your thought. That's the enemy sowing thoughts into your mind to get you to embrace that and to accept that as if it's yours. In other words, take ownership of that. You see, a worry-filled thought is a satanic thought. How do you know when the devil's talking to you? How do you know when the enemy's talking to you? Well, if you feel worried and you feel afraid and concerned, people have substituted the word worry for concern. I'm really concerned about you. That means that I mean they're worried. You know, you never ever worried yourself into health, ever. You never once worried money into your bank account. You never once worried your children into the kingdom of God. You never worried yourself into a better job or a job. It just doesn't work. It doesn't happen. So... When I recognize the source of all fear, and the Lord's been stirring me up in these areas lately because sometimes we tolerate little things we shouldn't even be tolerating. And I'll be the first to admit, I'm like, whoa, wait a second here. I mean, that's that little subtle thing right there, that's fear. And I know who's behind that fear. Amen. So God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Praise the Lord. And again, I said here, there isn't any fear that is healthy except the fear of the Lord. Now, let's go back where we were last week to 1 John chapter 4. And I want, to, I want you to see this. 1 John chapter 4. And we'll pick up where we left off last week. So, to get victory over fear, step number one is to realize the source of fear. Now, where did fear come? Did, you know, did God create fear? You know, you'll never see on the first, second day of creation where God said, and on the third day God created fear. No, you don't see that. But you do see it in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sinned against God, rebelled against God. And they, they heard God's voice coming and they hid themselves and they were afraid of God. Fear came on the scene in the Garden of Eden because of Adam's disobedience and rebellion. You see? And, uh, and we have to recognize that. But over in 1 John chapter 4, in verse 10, it says this. Are you ready? Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Hallelujah. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby we know that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify the, that the Father hath sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Okay, now... Uh, Look at verse 16. Here's what I want to focus on. We saw this. Do you remember this last week we got into this? John the Apostle. Now, before I read verse 16, I want to share this again because out of the 12, Jesus had how many disciples? He had 12, right? Okay. Now, out of the 12, 
out of the 12 disciples, he had three that were closer to him than the rest, than the nine. He had Peter, James, and John that he, he pulled even closer to him. Okay? That was, in other words, his inner circle, praise the Lord. But out of the three, Peter, James, and John, the closest to Jesus Christ was the Apostle John. In fact, he's the, he outlived all the other apostles. He's the only one that died a natural death of old age. Up in his 90s, praise the Lord. In fact, church history tells us that, that they, they tried, to, they, you know, they tried to, to murder him. And they tried to put him in a vat of oil to try to boil him, to kill him. And he just popped up like a bobber and said, hallelujah. <laughs> and that just scared the tar out of them. So, so what they did is they put him on an island called Patmos where they put all the prisoners. You know? And he went out there and, and he was on that island. And that's where he, had, he wrote the book of Revelation. They thought they were going to stop him, but they didn't. But the Apostle John uh, was the longest living Apostle. And he had a revelation of Jesus Christ that the others didn't have. Now they could have, but he had, he had a closeness. And I'm going to show you some from the Scripture today. He had a closeness with Jesus Christ that is available to you and I today. See, sometimes we think that, boy, I wished I could have been back in the time of Moses or Elijah or one of the prophets or even Jesus and all the disciples. I wished I could have been back there then. Well, there's a reason why God put you in the 21st century. There's a reason why God put you in this time right now. Amen? You could have been born in the 18th century, the 17th, 1600s, 1500s, but God chose to put you here for such a time as this. And I believe that this is the grand finale of all things being fulfilled. You and I are in that generation. I mean, we're there. Praise God. Now, I'm not a crazy, I like fireworks. The best firework display I've ever seen is at Walt Disney World. But you know, the best part about fireworks is the grand finale. Kaboom, boom, 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 boom. Why don't they just do that the whole time? I, don't <laughs> I guess it costs a lot of money. Now, Fireworks are nice, but the grand finale is the best, okay? And the best days are yet to come that you and I are living in. We're living in that time where the grand finale of God's glory and God's presence is going to be seen. And I'm telling you, it may sound like a fairy tale, but let me tell you something. You will remember my words. There's coming a time we're going to see the miraculous signs and wonders and miracles like we have never seen before. There's a great harvest of souls that are going to come into the kingdom of God that it's going to the power of God's going to shake this world. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, but brother Keith, don't say yeah, but. Cuz I just because you haven't seen something yet doesn't mean it's not going to come. It's the day is coming, believe me. And we're going to be a part of that. So so John the apostle was the closest and I wanted to say that before I read verse 16, let's read it. It says, "And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us or towards us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Thank you, Father. The second way to overcome fear, to get victory over fear, number one is recognize its source, but number two is understand how much the Lord is in love with you. And we'll read, okay? And it says, verse 16, we have known and believed. Say known and believed. Okay. 
How many, of you, how many way back in the day in your, in your life you remember hearing about the love of God? Just raise your hand. Okay. Yeah, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Right? It's one thing to know about the love of God, but it's another thing to really believe in the love of God. This is the cutting edge difference when it comes to being delivered from fear. Because he goes on to say, verse 17, Herein is our love made perfect, that we might have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. Now notice verse 18, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear, because fear has torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Many times, and it goes on to say, we love him because he first loved us, right? So, I used to interpret this scripture as like, well, if I walk in love, that will cast out fear. That's not what that's talking about. It's actually talking about we love Him because He first loved us. In other words, this is our response to how much God loves us. And when I understand how much God loves me, my perfect understanding of that love will eliminate and eradicate fear in my life. Because love will take care of you. You see, God doesn't have love. He is love. God doesn't just have, the Bible says God is love. God is light. God is love. God is love. And God is, you can't separate love from God and God from love. He's, that's one in the same. But when I understand correctly, if God loves me, He is going to take care of me. I use the example of my children were young when they were first born. They never worried or they were never woke up in the morning thinking, dear God, am I going to have food today for breakfast, you know? Am I going to have clothes? They never thought twice about it because it was in, embedded in them at birth that their parents, without even thinking about, we're going to take care of them. Okay? Because they came out of our flesh, we're going to take care of them. Amen. Now, you came out of God. And God will take care of you. He will supply your needs. He will take care of you. Now, I may not, at times it may look like threatening things out here and out here, you know, things in your life. You know, idle threats that, that come to you, things, the fears that come to you. But I'll tell you what, when you understand, I've been doing this more and more and more and more lately. When I, I keep saying out loud, I say, Father, I thank you that you love me. You care for me. You love me. And I, the more I say that, the more it's, it's, it, it, it's rooted in my spirit. Because love grows with confession. The more you say how much you love God or how much He loves you, it grows with confession. That's just like in a family. You know, I encourage you, and I've said this before, you know, if you've been here any length of time. I encourage you, whoever you're with, express your husband, your wife, your kids. Express to them how much you love them. It's kind of sad because I've seen through the years, years gone by, people express their love for someone when they were in the casket. Said, oh, they were so lovely. And I'm thinking, did you ever tell them that? It's, it's, it, at that point, it's too late. It's too late. The time to express your love and your compassion and your love and your fondness for people is while you're on this earth. I don't let a day go by, and I'm not bragging on myself. It's just something that God put on the inside of me. There's not one single day that I know of in my life since I've been married to Lynn and have children where I don't communicate them 
to them every single day how much I love them and appreciate them. It could be by my mouth, by a text. It could be whatever. You know what I'm saying? But, and they do the same thing. It's not just me. It's both, it's both ways. Okay? And you might think, oh, that's, you know, what's the big deal with that? Well, see, the more you communicate love towards one another, the more that love will grow. Amen? Never, ever take one another for granted. That's where the enemy gets in big time is you start taking one another for granted. You can take your church for granted. You can take your, your spouse for granted. You can take your kids for granted. Don't ever do that. Find the good in them and begin to express your love to them and your thankfulness and your gratitude towards them. Praise the Lord. See, I, I, I know just coming close to the brink of leaving this earth two times in my life, two times, very close. And uh, God didn't do that, okay? In fact, God healed me. <laughs> I'm staying up here totally healed today. Thank God. But let me tell you something. I came that close to checking out of here, okay? And, and it does something to you when you realize that what's really valuable to you, what's really important to you. You know what I'm saying? And you realize the most important things in your life are relationships. Those are the most important things is relationships. And I tell you what, it just did something to me to transform. Now, God didn't do that. The enemy did that. But in that, I began to realize, my goodness, Father, what's really important to me? It's people. It's my family. It's the church. It's the, the body of Christ. Okay? But sometimes people don't ever have that awakening. They don't have that kind of value system. And sometimes people take people for granted, you know, and misabuse them and treat them bad and all this kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. What if that's the last time you're going to see that person? How would you treat them? Just hypothetically. If you were to see that person for the last time, how would you treat them? That's the way we need to operate. It's just like Jesus. What if Jesus was coming back tomorrow? He could. How would that alter our lifestyle? How would that act how would that alter the way we think, the way we act, the way we discuss things, what we put our attention into? Amen? Just something to think about, isn't it? But there's no fear in love. So the second way to get victory over fear is to be rooted and grounded in the love of God, understanding how much He loves us. Now, John 17, just, uh, just bring that up on the screen, Josh, because of time here, because I want to get through this. John 17, 23, in the NLT, Jesus was praying this for you and for me. And I really think this is so powerful. This is the NLT, John 17 and verse 23. Let's wait till it comes up here. And you see this right here. It says, I, and Jesus says, I and them and you are in me. And may they experience such perfect unity and that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Now, I like that. King James is a little bit wordy there, so I wanted to read it in this translation here. I like the NLT to read through the Bible because that's a really good translation to, to just help understand what the Scripture is saying. Now, let me just paraphrase what Jesus Jesus is saying here, Father, show them that you love them to the same degree that you love me. 
Now we would think, here's Jesus here and here's me here side by side, that God would love Jesus more than He would love me. Not so. Jesus prayed that the world would know, that they would know that they're loved to the same degree that He loved Jesus. Say, God loves me to the same degree that He loves Jesus. In other words, He loves me as much as He loves Jesus. Amen? And you know He took care of Jesus. The Lord took care of Him. He took care of Him. And He will take care of us as well. Now let's go over here to the book of Ephesians. Excuse me. Chapter 3. We're talking about this second. We're going to spend the rest of our time today on this second principle here of overcoming fear, getting rid of fear in your life, is to understand how much the Father loves you. Perfect love will eliminate, eradicate fear. Praise God. I tell you, I've been, I've been meditating on this for a long, for weeks and weeks and weeks. The Father loves me as much as He loved Jesus. I say that over and over on the inside of me. And you know, I find that the more I say that, the more fear can't touch me. Amen? It's kind of like a duck. You know, quack duck. You ever see water try to get on a duck's back? It, it goes right off. You can pour buckets of water on it. You can put them under Niagara Falls. That water just goes right off the duck. Because God built that duck in such a way that it will not retain, it will not get wet. Because of the oils in that, that, that duck's body. Okay? And you can be so full of the love of God, understanding God's love, that the curse will try to come on you, but it won't be able to stick. It'll be like duck's feathers instead of Velcro. <laughs> no, that can't, no, the Father loves me, He's going to take care of me. Oh, i got an ache in my body right now. Hey, the Father loves me, He's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of me. Hallelujah. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things he said, you know, you'll find in chapters 1 and chapter 3, there are two different prayers that he prayed for the church at Ephesus. Not only for the church at Ephesus, but for you and I in the body of Christ today. You can take these spirit-anointed prayers and pray them for yourself, and you can pray them for other people. I pray these prayers every day for the people in our church. I pray them for my family, and I pray for, for the people in our church. That the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, you know. These are spirit-anointed prayers that we can pray. Now, notice this in chapter 3, in verse 14. The Apostle Paul says this, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Notice there's a family in earth and there's a family in heaven. Hallelujah. And one day we will be reunited with our family in heaven. Glory to God. And believe me, they don't want to come back there. there. <laughs> don't let me get carried away on that one. But it says, the whole family in heaven and in earth is named. Verse 16, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. You can be strengthened with might by His Spirit in your inner man. Verse 17, notice this, that Christ... The anointed one may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being, notice this, rooted and grounded in love. That you would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Now, this is, a, this is a, an anointed prayer. In other words, you can know the multi-dimensions of God's love, the length, the breadth, the depth, the height. You can know how much God loves you. Okay? So, when you pray this, you can expect the Lord to open the eyes of your understanding to realize, wow, He loves me. He cares for me. Amen? Did you know, I'll share something with you. Did you know there's never... A split second in God's mind, in His life, in the Lord's understanding that you're, He's not, that you're not, let me say that, rephrase that. There's not one second where the Lord is not thinking about you. He is thinking about you 24-7. The Bible says He neither sleeps nor slumbers. God doesn't sleep or slumber. He's not caught off guard. You are constantly in His heart and in His mind 24 hours a day. All the time. Now don't try to figure out how to figure that out because while well, there's more than one, how many there are children of God are there in the earth? See, that's what makes God God. He's able to do that. He's able to give you undivided attention, every single person on this earth. You know, if we, if we did this right now, for example, this is a big hotel. If all of us went into different parts of this hotel and we talked with God, we could do that, couldn't we? We could all get rooms right now. Okay. There's enough rooms in this place, right? We could all be separated and yet talking to the same God, and the same God will be talking individually to each and every one of us. He doesn't put you on hold and say, hold it, there's a guy down the hall here, I've got to talk to you first. What, what, wait a minute, there's somebody else. That's not the way it is. Now, you've all experienced that when you've had, been had to wait, on, put your uh, phone on hold, right? You call up a business, you know, and you're waiting for 20 minutes. <laughs> then they hang up on you. That's not the way God functions or operates. Amen? Uh, you, you're constantly on God's mind all the time. And He loves. It's His passion. This is the, listen to me very carefully. Look at me. This is the thing that thrills the heart of God more than anything else on this earth is when he, he wants to spend time, intimate time with you, talking with you, fellowshipping with you. And He wants to talk things over with you, even li- what you think are little things. He wants to talk over with you. Many times I avoided asking God certain things because I thought He really wasn't interested in that until I started asking Him about certain things and all of a sudden I got answers. And it's like He was saying, Son, I was there all along, you just didn't ask me. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. But when you realize how good God is and how intimate He wants to be with you, you can talk over anything with Him. And He will give you wisdom. He will give you direction. So the way that you can develop this love of understanding of love is to pray this Ephesians chapter 3 that I would know and comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ. Praise the Lord. Now I'm going to ask you a quick question here. How many of you, let's say in the last year or two years, that you have a, great, a better understanding of God's love than you did prior to that? Raise your hand. Okay. Now, you have not reached a cap in that area. You've made progress. I've made progress. But you'll never get to the place where you hit a ceiling and you're like, okay, that's it. We know everything now. You'll never get to that place on this earth. You can constantly go deeper and stronger in breadth and length and depth and height. Amen. 
all the multidimensional love of God to understand how much He loves you, that He's going to take care of you. Amen? It's kind of like I heard a story back in World War II over in Europe, you know. And there was a strong woman believer over there that they had the, you know, the uh, sirens that would go off for the, uh, the bombings and stuff. And the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, yeah, the air raid sirens would go off. There you go. And uh, so everybody, like little ants, they would scurry everywhere and get in their place. You know? But they noticed this one lady, you know, she just went into her house. She just stayed there. She didn't go to the bomb shelters. And they said, what is the, what's wrong with you? She goes, well, it's like this. She says, I read in my Bible that the Lord neither sleeps nor slumbers, so there's no use two of us staying up at night. (laughs) They thought she was crazy, but you know what? Nothing happened to her. She was totally fine through the whole process. See, they might look at you as kind of crazy at first, but then when their back's up against the wall, guess who they're going to come to? Now, I've had people through the years criticize us you know, sometimes more severe than other times. And, you know, you just let it just slide off you. Amen. But I know sometimes when their back's up against the wall, guess who they're going to call for prayer? Amen. <laughs> you kind of want to say, are you going to take back what you said about me? No, you don't do that. Love doesn't do that. But you realize that, you know, they may think you're crazy. But let me, let me, let me tell you something. I would rather be caught in the earth using my faith than not using my faith. The Bible says that when Jesus comes back, you know what he's looking for? He says, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith in the earth. He's looking. When he comes back, what's he looking for today? Faith. What's that mean? Trust. I trust in the love of God. God is going to take care of me. Thank you, Lord. You know what I find this is that, that it, you don't have to have something monumental happen to you to get like excited about God anymore because... You're seeing God in every little detail. Amen. I walk out at night. The other night I walk up and I looked up into the sky. And I lifted my hands up in my front yard and I saw the stars just lit up the sky. And I was like, oh, took a deep breath. I was like, God, you made it all. Praise the Lord. But you know how many people walk out? They don't even look up and they don't see it. They're right there, but they don't see it. They don't see it. And sometimes it's like the phrase, you know, you can't see the forest for the trees. And, you know, I believe that when you're connected with God and you understand, you see God in every little thing, every little detail. And it's just better to see God than to see what the enemy's doing, right? Are you with me? Okay, so we can pray this. The second principle in getting free from fear is to be rooted and grounded in how much God loves you. Now, listen, you could have grown up in an environment in your home that was unstable, unsettled. Maybe you were abandoned. Okay, so there's a little more of a challenge there because I realize everybody comes from different backgrounds. Everybody does. But the Bible teaches us that God will become a father to us. He says, I'll be a father to you. I'll teach you what I am like. And that's one of the jobs of the church, which is us. You and I, we're the church. And our job is to help people and to lift them up bring them up to a better place. And my job, when I'm with people, I want to leave them in a better place. You know, you came to church today. I praise God for that. But I want to leave you in a better position today than before you came in. That's my goal today. Amen? That's my one-year, five-year plan right there. (laughs) Amen? I want to leave you in a better 
place. I want to give you a supernatural hope on the inside of you. Glory to God. Now, not everybody accesses that, and that's okay. Amen. They're coming around. But I'll tell you what, whoever we're with is I want to leave them in a better position. I want to leave them in a better place because I'll tell you what, God's love in me loves you. And sometimes you just need a physical body to express that love to you, to let you know you're cared for, you're loved. Amen? That's why God uses people. Now, quickly here, let's go to John 13. And let's wrap this up this morning here. In John chapter 13. And uh, you remember the, remember the phrase that I used about how the, there was the 12 apostles, 12 disciples. And then out of the 12 there was the three, Peter, James, and John. But out of the three there was John, who was the closest apostle to Jesus Christ. Okay? Now I made mention of some of this last week. I referred to it, but I want you to see it from the Scripture here today. John had a revelation of how much Jesus loved him. He had a revelation. You and I can have the same revelation. Now, in John 13, verse 1 says, Now before the feast, John, that's John 13, verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that the hour was come, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved his own that were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Now, do you notice that phrase? That he loved the people that God gave him. And he loved them up until the very end. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. And boy, he could have. Because you know the disciples, they were up and down, man. They had flesh problems. They had competition problems. They had all kind of anger problems, temper tantrums. But the Bible says Jesus loved them up until the end. You might say he loved the hell right out of them. I'm not cursing. I'm just saying he did. Now, I want to show you the rest of these verses here. Look at this. Notice verse 1, it says, He loved them unto the very end. And you know what, folks, listen to me. He will love you up until the very end, faults and all. He loves you so much, He's not about to ever quit and give up on you. Even when you think you're going to quit and give up and throw in the towels, they say, He doesn't do that to you. He's the most positive being that ever has existed. He believes totally in you. He's given everything. He's put everything, every stock into you. He believes in you that you're going to make it. He does. Verse 2 says, And the supper being ended, that's the last supper, and the devil, notice this, put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's sons, to betray him. Now this just goes to show you, you know, they think, well, you know, if we just had the perfect leader, everything would just be perfect. Everything will be good. Listen, there is no better leader than the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet one of them missed it. Judas. But notice it says in verse 2, And the devil, having put into the heart and the mind of Judas Iscariot, Simon's sons, to betray him. Now who put that thought into Judas's mind? It says the devil. Oh, the devil put that thought in Judas's mind. And verse 3 says, And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he, wrote, he rises. Now, keep this in mind. Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. He was going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Think about that. Turn his back on Jesus, the Messiah, the author who is love personified. 
vine. Verse 4, he rose from supper and laid aside, this is Jesus, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and, and that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet with the towel wherewith he was girded. My goodness, this is right before, this is the pinnacle of Jesus' ministry before he was going to be t- crucified. And what did he do? He took a towel and dipped it in the water and he washed his disciples' feet. Leadership principle number one. Jesus said the greatest among you would be a servant of all. You don't hear a lot of stuff about that when it comes to leadership. Nowadays when you hear about leadership it's how you can have dominion over people and so forth and so on. You know, and how to tell them what to do. And There's a place for that. Don't get me wrong. You have to have organization. But Jesus said, I'm going to teach you how to be a leader. He said, the greatest among you will be a servant of all. And he washed his disciples' feet. Peter even fought, a, fought well, we, we're not going to have time to read it here, but he's, he, he, he said, Lord, you're never going to wash my feet. He said, and the Lord said, well, if, you don't, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no place in me. He said, well, then wash my head too. <laughs> and then he went on to say, I'm, you're clean to the word that I've spoken unto you. Praise God. But, but notice that Jesus washed even Judas's feet. My goodness. He knew what he was going to do. Can I do that? I don't know. Only with God's help. But if you knew someone was going to turn their back on you, stab you in the back, so to speak, and do something as evil as this, could you wash their feet knowing full well what was going to take place? Yet he did it. He loved them up until the end. Amen? Now, you're in that chapter. Jump down to verse 20. That's John 13, verse 20. And it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, He was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And the disciples, then the disciples looked at one another, doubting whom he, of whom he spake. And in verse 23, notice this. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. Guess who that was? John. John the Apostle. And so Simon, verse 24, Simon therefore beckoned him, said that, uh, that he should ask, tell John to say, who is it that he's talking about? In verse 25, then lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? See, John, John's closest to Jesus. Now, this isn't, this isn't impure, impure here. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a wholesome love and a, an infection. You know, if you love someone, you want to be affectionate with them. Amen? We're not talking about dirty, sleazy stuff. We're not talking about that. Amen? Praise God. The Bible talks about a holy kiss. Amen? There's times I felt led to kiss people, and I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know? But it was the love of God coming out of me to that person. Amen? It wasn't unholy at all. Verse 26, Jesus answered and said, To whom I shall give the sop when I have dipped it? And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, 
son of Simon. Okay? Now here's what I want to focus on in verse 23. This is talking about John the Baptist. Now there was leaning on the bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. Now what, what gospel are we reading right now? John. Who wrote the gospel of John? He wrote this about himself. He said there was one leaning on the bosom of Jesus. He's close to Jesus. He just wanted to hear his heartbeat. Amen. Do you know you can get that close to the Lord? You hear his heartbeat, so to speak. You hear what he's saying to you. Amen. And he says, one of them leaning on the bosom of Jesus, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. He's referring to himself. Now jump over to John 19. Okay. You're there in 13. Go to chapter 19, John 19. And I want to just read a couple of verses here as we close today. And I want to show you this. Out of the three, Peter, James, and John, John had, there was the twelve, then the three, then there was the one, John, who had a revelation of how much Jesus loved him. All the disciples could have had the same thing. Did you know all of you are his favorite children? Say, I'm his favorite child. Now that sounds like when you say that, because in the natural you say that's leaving somebody else out. What about brother or sister? You're all God's favorite child. All of you are. We are. But in John 19, verse 26, when Jesus saw his, saw his mother and the disciples standing by, that's John, whom he loved, notice this, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Now this is when Jesus was on the cross. Remember that? But notice... John says, the disciple standing by whom he loved. There you go again. Okay, now John 20. To go to John chapter 20. And look at verse, verses 1 through 3. It says, the first day of the week, this is after his resurrection, cometh Mary Magdalene early, for it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher of the grave. Verse 2, Then she runneth and cometh to Simon, Peter, and the other disciples whom Jesus loved, that's Peter and John, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid Him. And Peter went forth and the other disciple, and they came to the sepulcher. Now it's funny because as you read on, you'll find out that it says that John outran Peter. <laughs> <laughs> He outran Peter. This says something about his love. It says something. You know, you can outrun other people. It's up to you. You can go as far as you want to go with the love of God. And I cho I've chosen, I don't want to stay where I'm at. I want to go further. I want to go deeper. Because I realized the more I'm in love with God, the more I understand how much He loves me, the more I'm able to help other people. The greater capacity that I have in my heart, do I understand God's love is the capacity that which I'm able to give out to other people. And when I'm full, I can give other people gasoline. Amen? If your tank's not full, you can't give other people gas. You understand the, what I'm saying here? So when you're full of God's love, a lot can happen. I love John 21. 
John 21, verse 7. We're almost done here. It says, Therefore the disciples whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded about a fisher's coat, for he was naked, and he cast himself into the sea. Praise God. But notice the first phrase, the disciples whom Jesus loved. Now when it says that Peter was naked, that doesn't mean he was butt naked as we say. That's not what that's talking about. He took his outer garment off. He had another garment, okay? All right? <laughs> Are you with me now? Because, you know, in our English, we read that. Said, oh, Peter was butt naked, man. No, that's not what he's talking about. He took out the outer, outer garment. But notice he says, the disciples whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter. There's the phrase again. Now, go to John 21. This is the last verse I want you to see here in John 21. And verse 20, Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciples whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on the breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Okay, now, we saw several scriptures here this morning, out of the Gospel of John, that John the Apostle referred to himself several times as the disciple whom Jesus Loved. He was talking about himself. Truth, truth being, it's not that Jesus loved John more than he loved Peter or James or, or uh, Thomas or any of the other apostles or even Judas for that matter. You know, Jesus loved Judas as much as he loved Peter and John. He did. Now, he knew what he was going to do, but he still loved them. He, he loved us while we were yet sinners. And he knew exactly what was in the heart of Judas, but he still loved him. He gave him a fair shot. Do you know Judas could have repented? Peter repented. He denied the Lord three times. Now it almost doesn't seem fair because you'll see Peter just a few short days later on the resurrection, after the resurrection, he's on the day of Pentecost and he's preaching to 3,000 people. And you think, dear God, he should be in preacher's rehab somewhere. He didn't deny the Lord once. He denied the Lord twice. No, he denied him three times. <laughs> but you'll never notice Peter, when he gets up there after the day of Pentecost, he'll, he never talks about him, his faults anymore. He never talks about what he did wrong. But, you know, he could have been in self-punishment. He could have went out like Judas went out and hung himself. He punished himself. But, you know, he could have repented. He could have repented. Peter repented and he wept bitterly. And he denied the Lord three times. Not once, not twice, three times. <laughs> but on the day of Pentecost, just a few days after the resurrection, he stood up and preached boldly to 3,000 people. And you would have thought he should be in some rehab center somewhere, you know, getting, getting help here. After what he just did, what he went through, denied the Lord. He doesn't deserve to be up there. <laughs> But you remember when Jesus, after the resurrection, came and he came to, to, to Peter. And Peter went right back to fishing. That's what, I'll just go back to what I, what I used to do, you know. And Jesus asked Peter three times. He goes, Simon, do you love these more than you love me? In other words, the fish, your, your, your past life. Do you love these more than you love me? 
He said it three times. He goes, no, Lord. Those three confessions nullified those three things that he did to. Amen. When he denied the Lord three times. He denied the Lord three times, but then Jesus asked Peter three times. He says, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Those final three confessions nullified that first, those, those, those denials that he had. But you'll never see Peter referring back to what a worm he was, what a jerk that he was, how he denied the Lord. You never hear him talking about it again. Why? Because he began to develop in the love that Jesus had for him. See, John, uh, and I've noticed this through the years, you know, preaching to different people. People are different levels, different, their hearts are different, their mindset's different, you know. Some people are just more open than other people, you know. And sometimes I can just say one word and someone just grabs onto it. You just feel it in the spirit. They just grab onto it. Yeah, mm -hmm, yeah. And there's other people that just kind of fight it. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be one of those kind of people that fight what's being said. From the Word of God. I want to grab, I want to grab onto it, I want to embrace it, I want to take it. It's mine. I have it now. Amen. So all those disciples could have had the same understanding how much Jesus loved them as the Apostle John. But you see John being affectionate with Jesus before any of this stuff happened. You see him close, close to Jesus. I want to hear what you have to say, Lord. You see Mary, for example, Martha and Mary, the same thing. They're sisters. They have a brother named Lazarus. But you'll see that Mary, remember when Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, remember he came into their house and Mary's, they were making dinner for Jesus and Martha was all fussing in the kitchen about the food and all this kind of stuff. But here's, here's Mary, nothing wrong with what she was doing. But Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he's saying, hanging on to every word he's saying. And you know, I've talked about this before, but Martha, she came in there, I can just imagine, with her hands on her hips, had an attitude. She says, Master, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve you alone? Remember that? And we have to ask ourselves, are we a Mary or are we a Martha? <laughs> Amen. There was nothing wrong with what Martha was doing. She was just anxious. He said, you're troubled about many things, Martha. But Mary has chosen the best part, which will not be taken away from her. Amen? You know what will solve, you know, thank you, Holy Spirit. You know what will solve, solve the loneliness problem better than anything else? See, see, the devil has deceived so many people thinking, I just need to have a man. I need to have a woman. I just need to have someone in my life so I can be fulfilled and fill this void inside of my life. No, you don't. You need God. Because there's no person that's going to fill the void in your life, husband or wife. I don't expect her to fill a void in my life. She didn't expect me to fill a void in her life. We put Jesus first and put Him on the throne of our lives, and then things are better between us. But if you don't have the relationship with God where it needs to be first and foremost, it'll never be found in a human being. It'll never be found in a person. I'm, I'm not just speaking this by, by Keith right now. The Holy Spirit's talking through me right now. You fall in love with Jesus first. You know, before I ever met my sweetheart, and she still is my sweetheart, 
I had a relationship with Jesus Christ when I was 16 years old. Now, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up praising Jesus. <laughs> My parents were not born again, believe me. Okay? When, I, when, my, when they found out we went to this church down the street, you know, they thought we joined a cult. I mean, they were upset about it. They got so mad at us. My sister and I, she was two years younger than me. And they thought, what's wrong with us? Man, we raised you the right way. What's the deal? What's wrong with you? You know, and we were, we were just so filled with God back then. We didn't really, it didn't bother us to the, a lot of people get so offended by that, you know, but we just didn't let it bother us. My wife was the same way. She came out of a, a home with seven kids, Catholic family, you know, and she, was, she got born again and she got persecuted from her brothers and sisters. You know what she would do? She would go out and sit in her in the car or go out somewhere behind her house and just spend time with Jesus and let Jesus talk to her and minister to her. Amen. Amen? That's the way I was. No one taught me how to do it. I just loved God. And I remember working a job right out of high school and I was at a paper plant. And I remember on my lunch break, we had a half an hour, an hour, I can't remember which, which it was. There's a little pond and I could take it to the place that it is. And I would drive my car up there, park the car there, open my Bible and say, God, talk to me right now. Amen? Grab a sandwich, spend time with the Lord, talk to the Lord. That was filling me up. Nobody was over my head telling me you need to do this. I just wanted to get close to God. Amen? I pray to God that a new generation of people are being raised up now that are going to have a hunger and a thirst for God like that. It's not to be a thing of the past or the thing of the 60s and the 70s. Or those days are long gone. No, we can have a heart for God now. <laughs> Amen? I, under, I didn't understand hardly anything. But I love God. I wanted to serve God. I wanted to serve Him and love Him because I, I wasn't being paid for doing it. I just wanted to love God. I didn't even know I was called to the ministry. But I just loved the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's where you got something. I was just, um, I was noticing, like, like as you were reading about, you know, Judas and all that. It's on. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll turn it off. That just something dawned on me. I mean, if Jesus didn't show favoritism, so there's just Think about that. I mean, I grew up with uh, six other brothers and sisters, you know, and we all had access to our parents. I mean, think about that. My, my dad did not show partiality. Yes. But yes. I was thinking, what did Judas have his attention on? Think about that. Mm -hmm. It was money. Money. Uh -huh. <laughs> where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Think about that. He's with mm -hmm. Jesus, and he had his eyes on money. Mm -hmm. that, that's what did everything. That, so he wasn't even in a position to, to ask God to forgive him because he was so wrapped up. Think about that. He, that when it comes right down to it, it it's a matter of, a, of personal decisions and choices. You yes. know, Mary could have said, forget this meal, or uh, Martha, or whatever, and said, you know what? Come on, Mary, let's just sit down and listen to the master. Like, seriously. She could have, she had a choice in the matter. So it comes down to a personal choice. 
and what we choose to fix our eyes on. We have our eyes fixed on things in this world. You know, it's going to let us down and let us down big. That's what happened. It let him down big, and he's not going to be in heaven because of it. There's a heaven to gain, and there surely is a hell to shun. That's right. That's right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you today. Thank you for being in this place, Father. Thank you for touching our hearts, Lord. There's a, there's a pool. There's a pool and there's a jockeying, as you would say, as they would say. There's, a, there's two people after your heart. One is the devil. Satan, demons, and evil spirits. They're pulling after your heart, pulling after your mind, pulling after your attention. But then on the other side of that is God himself, the Father himself, pulling and tugging at your heart. One will hurt you and harm you and damage you. The other will bless you and increase you and prosper you like you've never known before. Why wouldn't someone serve God? If, if someone's not in their right mind, they're not going to want to serve God. They're thinking this is bondage. To serve God is bondage. No, it's not. It's the most liberating life that there is. It's to serve the living God. To do what He wants. Many people have been caught up in the fear of man. What man will think. What family members will think. What this person will think. What that person will think. The Lord would say it doesn't matter what they think. It's what I think that matters. So get on my side, saith the Lord. Walk with me, get on my side, walk with me, and all will be well. And some of those things that you thought were so important, you will have to let them go anyway because they're not going to amount to anything anyway. But cling to that which is the true gold. Cling to that which is true jewels. That is my presence and my word. For that's the thing that will last. That's the thing that will endure. And yes, that's the thing, the very thing that will sustain you in this life. Many people are looking for joy. They're looking for peace. But they're looking in the wrong areas. They're looking for what they really need in other people. But only I can give you what will fill your void in your heart. Only I in intimacy with me is what will fulfill your longing heart. So come to me, join yourself to me, and be just like my apostle and my follower John, and get close to my bosom, listen to my heart, be affectionate with me. For as you draw near to me, I will draw near to you, and you will sense my heart, you will sense my love, you will sense how much I love you just by drawing near to me. So come as you are. Come just the way you are. You don't have to change a single thing. Come just like you are. Let me change your heart. Let me change your mind. And yes, let me change the circumstances around you. I just want to be close to you. I want to be near to you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for saying that, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Father. 
Sometimes, you know, we, we shouldn't be a, in moments of silent in church. It's a, sometimes it's a good time just to reflect on what God's, what he just talked to us about. Amen. It's okay to do that. Amen. I'm doing the very same thing right now. I, you have no idea how often when I'm up here ministering, I'm listening to what I'm saying, but it's not really me. And I, I, I listen to what the Holy Ghost is saying. I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I'm listening to what he's telling. Just what I just shared, I'm, that's news to me too because it came spontaneous right out of the Holy Spirit what God was trying to tell us. And I'll tell you, the Lord is madly in love with you. One of the most frustrating things, the most frustrating things is when you try to convince another person how much you love them and they won't receive it. You can stand on your head and spit nickels, as they say, and you could try to convince them, I love you, I care for you. But if they don't believe it, it doesn't help them announce. Amen? So I don't just know about the love of God. I believe in the love of God. Amen. Brother Tom, did you have something? Come on up here. Let's grab this microphone. I perceive you had something from the Lord there. Absolutely. Um, Bear, I, I'm ready for lunch, So, but I'm being obedient to, to come up and share this. Um, this hasn't happened too many times, um, but this is the, the, one of the first times I can confidently say that something was dropped in my spirit where it's thus saith the Lord. So oh, I wanted to share it today. Um, I don't know if you, know, you use your phone, you download an app, and sometimes you can download an app just the way the Lord can download something into your spirit. So I had a rush back there, and I wrote it all down while Pastor was, was speaking. So I just bear with me. Josh, could you bring up Philippians 4.8, please? I'll, I'll make this quick. I, I just, I'll, I'm going to read what, what I wrote down. And, um, so I, I think we're all familiar with this one. It, it talks about your thought life um, and, and, and what you're thinking is directly related to what you're feeling. So if you're feeling something... Um, thank you, Lord. <sighs> so if you're feeling something, you can, you can um, trace it back to what you were thinking. Or if you're going through a period of feeling something, you can trace it back to the series of thoughts that you've been having. Um, and so I, I challenge you sometime to get out your dictionary and, and go through... Um, you know, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. Actually, I did that. I can bring it for the church next week. But it talks about what you should be thinking. And, and, and this is kind of where it begins. This is, it says, therefore, if you're feeling shame, discouragement, despair, fear, guilt, or anything opposed to the fruits of my spirit, then you are meditating, whether consciously or unconsciously, <clears throat> on thoughts that are counter to my word, will, and heart for you. To change this pattern, replace those counter thoughts with my thoughts by getting my word in your thought stream and the tide of thinking will begin to shift toward producing feelings of love, joy, peace, boldness, thanksgiving, gentleness, and so on in line with the fruits of my spirit. <clears throat> At first, it could require a concerted effort to keep filling your mind with my word. It could mean reading my word every half an hour for five minutes or it could take less depending on how long the thought pattern has been going the other way. However, I challenge you to test this. Your thoughts will begin to change, and then your feelings will follow. So this is for someone in here today. The order I ordained is spirit, soul, and body, not the other way around. Thus saith the Lord. 